You're listening to a message from Victory Church of the Bay Area. For more information, please visit us on our website at victoryus.org. All the all the fathers here today. Happy Father's Day. We thank you for uh, taking time to be here with us this morning. And uh, more importantly, we, we thank you for, for your leadership in your home, lead, for your um, example to the next generation, and just um, and uh, many of you here love Jesus with all your heart, and we want to thank you for leading all of us towards God's purpose and being our godly examples so that we can also live our lives to the fullest and uh, to the Lord's honor and glory. Okay, thank you. All right, today's Father's Day, so we're going to begin a new series, a sermon series next week, but we just want to spend some time this morning just to honor our fathers and also to learn from uh, a man in Scripture who was a portrait of a good father. Okay, so there's only one perfect father, and he is our Heavenly Father. God our Father is the only perfect one, but we can see his attributes and his traits and characteristics in our earthly fathers. Okay, so we don't have all of his characteristics and traits, but we do demonstrate to a certain degree and reveal who God is, okay? And growing up, uh, my dad, I haven't seen or haven't known anyone more generous in, in life, that I, at least as far as I've, I've been alive, uh, more than my dad. So he is a picture of generosity. We were not rich, but he would give to those who are in need and those who need help. He would uh, be generous, you know? He would give above and beyond what normally people would ask. And and I grew up seeing that in my dad. And so when I came to Christ, when I became a child of God and he became my heavenly father, it was not an issue for me to trust God the Father for his provision because I've seen that aspect of a father who provides in my own earthly dad. And if my dad could be like that, how much more our father in heaven? Okay, so um, but we're going to look at someone today. Uh, you all know him. His name is Noah, okay? Noah, do you know who Noah was? You know him? Okay, he was the one who came down with the Ten Commandments. Is that correct? No, no. <laughs> Some of you are saying yes. <laughs> you know, I noticed in church sometimes, no matter what I say, there are people who say, yes, that's, that's right. <laughs> but anyway, um, uh, Noah was, uh, you know, the man that God called to build an ark. As God uh, was sent the flood, uh, a worldwide flood, and he wanted to start over. He pressed the reset button, and Noah was going to be, um, you know, the first of this new generation that God was going to build through on the earth. So, and, and so let's all stand right now, and let's just read. We're not going to read the whole narrative. I just want to read a verse here in Hebrews chapter 11, and one verse, verse 7. Okay, if you have your Bibles with you, uh, open it to Hebrews 11, verse 7. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. It says there, By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you. For your great compassion and your love, and that we thank you, God, that you build, you raise up men, Lord, on the earth, Lord, to be our examples, um, so that we can also be a strong men and women, Lord, who will lead the generations that follow after us. And Lord, we thank you for the examples that we have, and we thank you that you, Lord, that you reveal who you are through our earthly fathers. And and I pray for the fathers here this morning that we would reflect you more and more in our lives, in everything that we say, think, and do, that when people look at us, they would see more and more of you. And Lord, we just commit this sermon to you. May your word be planted deep in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may have your seats. Let me just give you a background on this. And, and uh, see, we read about Noah. Noah was a great man. Not a perfect man, but he was a great man, and he was a, a good father. I can tell you that he is a good father. Not a perfect one, but he was a good father, and we're going to see why. And uh, he was also, uh, when God pressed the reset button, so to speak, 
by sending the flood, God wiped out all of humanity because of the wickedness that's all over the earth uh, brought about by man. And, but Noah was a righteous man, and so God restarted, repopulated the earth with him as the seed. And, and so Noah is the father of everyone who's living today, okay? So Adam was the first man. He was the father of, um, of mankind, but as mankind uh, spread all over the earth, sin also became so rampant to the point that it corrupted the earth. God had to start over, okay? So Noah was a righteous man, and uh, he was a great father, but he lived in a time when, in, in a very, very distressful time, a very, you know, um, scary time, if you will, in a very um, difficult time because men are out of control with regards to their sin and their, you know, their immorality and their hearts, you know, their, their hearts are fully evil all the time. And in Genesis 6, where we find the story of Noah, we find there the condition of man. Noah lived in an age of wickedness, an age of evil, an age of violence. Let's look at Genesis 6, verse 5. Okay, it says there, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart, every intention of the thoughts of his heart, was only evil continually. In the NIV, it says there that every intention and thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. It came to that point where, you know, sin had taken over. Can you imagine um, society ruled by sinful people and there are no restraints in their wickedness, in their sinfulness? What do you think? Can you picture that kind of society? I mean, some of you are thinking, you know, well, today, it's so sinful today, you know. But here, it, it came to that point where God had to restart. It was that bad. And Noah was living during that time. It's kind of like you living, let's say, in the Middle East, where you're being persecuted for your faith. Just because you're a, you are a believer in Christ, you are hunted down, and that you're persecuted, and that's, that's scary, and that's the kind of era and that's the kind of age Noah was living in. In verse 11, same chapter of Genesis, it says there, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight. So you see, he looks at man, mankind, and he sees humanity is filled with wickedness, and all man's thoughts and intentions are evil all the time, and it brought about a corruption on the earth. Okay? The earth was corrupt in God's sight. Remember when God created everything, the heavens and the earth, after he created everything, what did he say? Each day after he created something, what did he say? It was good. Okay, he created something, and then at the end of that day of creating, he looked at it and said, it is good. It is good. It is good. And when he created man, mankind, he created man in his very own image. In all of God's creation, there's only one creation that, that bears the image of God. Of course, we see God's fingerprints and the revelation of God all throughout creation, but it is only in man that God's image is stamped upon. Not in animals, not on planets or on the stars. The image of God is stamped upon man. And then here, and when he created man, he said, it is very good. And now he looks at the earth because of sin the earth was corrupt in his sight, and the earth was filled with violence. How would you feel? Would you feel secure? What kind of houses would you build if this was your neighborhood? How many of you, we all know this, so when we want to buy a house or a home, we, we consider location, right? And then we look at the crime rate. And we don't desire to live in a place where the crime rate is high. It's undesirable. Right? You consider that. You think about that. Now, can you imagine the whole earth is like that? Violence. Okay? And here, even in the midst of a culture, not just a culture, but he lived in a world filled with corruption, evil, wickedness, violence to the max says there, Noah 
was a righteous man, and he found favor with the Lord. How did Noah become a strong father in such a crazy era, in a crazy age? And even today, I mean, you know, we don't have that kind of challenge, but we do see it in society. You know, more and more, our society is on a downward spiral, all because family is being redefined. We all understand that the family is the basic unit of society, right? If the basic unit of society is weak, then society will be weak. If the basic unit of society is corrupted, then the entire society will be corrupted. And when we see the basic unit of society, which is the family, when it breaks down, can you imagine a society that will be perfect when the family unit is broken down? That's not going to happen. Break down this, the unit and you break down the whole. You break down the society. And that's why we see today people growing up, you know, going in different directions, having, you know, believing in, in so many things, discarding their values, um, you know, discarding morality. They just do whatever they want, whatever is pleasing to them. We've seen that over and over with, with the nation of Israel. You know, when they had no king, they did whatever they pleased. And that brought about a downward spiral in their society. And that warranted God's discipline and judgment. And the judgment was always redemptive to turn them back towards God's purpose. But here today, that's where we live. See, we have people who, who think they can redefine what God has already defined. And they think that they can just change just like that, institutions that God had established for ages. This is the kind of thing. And, you know, what kind of society are we living in? This is scary, you know. <laughs> Can I tell you this? Jesus said, in the last days, the wicked will become more wicked, but the righteous will become more righteous. So in the last days, the disparity, the distinction between wicked and the righteous will be so obvious. It will be so seen. Wickedness will rise, but righteousness will also rise. It's either you're going to be on the wicked side or on the righteous side. Okay? And that's the kind of society we live in. And, and part of the strength of the basic unit of society, the family, the very key that holds the basic unit of society is actually the leadership of, of the father. And if you have a fatherless family, no matter what your intentions are, you say, we can still make a family, there's going to be something that will be lacking that only the grace of God can fill. But until the grace of God fills that void, people will be given to things that are wrong, to things that are not right, and the only hope they have is the redemption that comes through Christ. But that's the society we live in today. Let me ask you this. How can you, as fathers here today, all the fathers here in the room, how can we live like Noah? How can we become strong fathers in a difficult time, in a culture where values are shunned, where righteousness is shunned, where, where truth is shunned? The good news is we can. We can still live righteously. We can be Strong and good fathers, in, even in a corrupt age. Now, how did Noah become a strong father in such a corrupt age? We'll look at some things here. We'll jump in Genesis 6 and also in Hebrews 11. First is this, that it says that Noah walked with God. You can walk with God. This speaks of relationship with God. You can have a relationship with God. You can walk with God even in a corrupt age. Even in a sinful community, even a sinful society, you can walk with God. You can be righteous. You don't have to give in to what society tells you. There's a common belief, there's a mindset that mo many people, you know, ignorantly subscribe to, and it's this. If everybody does it, that means it's okay. Is, is that right? So if majority thinks it's okay to rape people, then does that make it right? Because majority thinks it. 
You see, truth is not based on the opinion of the majority. Genesis 6, verses 8 and 9 says, But Noah, given the setting of wickedness all around him, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Genesis 6, verse 8. And in verse 9, it says there, These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. It is possible for you to stand in righteousness and be blameless in a corrupt generation. But when you do that, guess what? Your light will shine brighter because everyone around you, it's dark. You're living in a dark place. You know, the light shines brightest in the dark, right? See these lights here? It's, these are really bright because it's in a dark room. Take them out there in the street during the middle of the day and turn them on. You may see it, but it's not going to make that much of a difference. But here, it's seen clearly because of the contrast of the darkness in the room. The light shines brighter in darkness. So when you stand in righteousness in a corrupt age, more and more people will see you, will notice you. Okay? And here it says, Noah walked with God. The reason why he was able to be a righteous man and he was able to be blameless in this generation is not because of his own goodness. But those were results. Those were fruits of his relationship with God. A lot of people today tell me, I have a relationship with God. You know what the proof of, you know the, the proof when someone says, I have a relationship with God? It's in the fruit of their lives. Jesus said, you will know them by their fruit. You can say one thing, but if your fruit says another, then, you're, then what you're saying is not true. Right? Okay, a, a mango tree can say anytime it wants, I am an apple tree. But the fruit will tell you what it really is. Right? What, what tree is that? I don't know. Wait for the fruit. Oh, it's an apple tree. Oh, it's grapefruit, you know, whatever. So, so you, know, you know them by their fruit. Same way we know people by the fruit of their lives, how they live their lives, by the words they say, by the company they keep, we know them. These are all fruits of what's inside, okay? Noah was a just man. He was a just man, and he was declared righteous in Hebrews 11, the, the verse we read this morning, uh, a while ago. It says there in the latter part of that, it says, he became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. This speaks of, this is a language that is used when you're referring to salvation. The righteousness that comes by faith. Paul said that in Romans chapter 1. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness, it's not a works, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So this is language used when you talk about salvation. So here he became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. That means he had saving faith. So here he lived by faith and he walked by that faith and he walked in saving faith. He put his faith in God, not in what he could do. He was a man who had a relationship with God. He put his faith in God. He also did everything God commanded him to do. He was obedient to God. Look at the verbiage here. Genesis 6, Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Now, remember, God told Noah his plan of um, restarting. You know, he was going to send a flood, and everyone in the world will, all the corrupt, sinful people in the world will die. And then he's going to restart with Noah and his family. And God commanded Noah to build an ark. So God gave him specific measures. So he gave them the details of it. And Noah executed the plan faithfully. He did all that God commanded him. That was in verse 22 of chapter 6. And then God told him to get provisions for you. For, you know, you're going to be in the ark for quite some time. So take whatever food you can get to provide for you, your family, and for the animals who will be with you. And so he commanded Noah to take a male and female of every type of animal that's there. 
So Noah made, made room, made sure that the ark was, had enough room to fit all those types of animals, male and female. Okay? Because you cannot start, you cannot produce if it's not male and female. Okay, so there, that's the design. Here, the Lord commended Noah because Noah did all that God told him to do. In chapter 7, verse 5, here we go again. Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. So he was one, he's literally one in a million, probably. (laughs) I mean, he's from a uh, democratic standpoint, from the perspective of the many, he is the anomaly. He's the anomaly. He's abnormal. Not normal. He is weird. How many of you have seen the movie, uh, the trilogy, The Matrix? Matrix trilogy. Have you seen it? You know, there are anomalies. Noah was an anomaly in, in his society, in his generation. Everybody's going this way, and he was going counterculture. Just imagine with me. What would be the possible things that could happen when you go counterculture? When you don't subscribe to what the world is saying, what the world wants you to believe, but you hold fast to your faith in God. What do you think will happen? Do you think the world will stand up and give you an applause, standing ovation? Do you think that will happen? Let's make this interactive a bit. What do you think would be some some of your experiences if you go counterculture? You're going to be persecuted. What types of persecution do you think you will have? You're going to be ridiculed, mocked. For us here in the West, to be ridiculed and mocked, that is already persecution. But in, <laughs> in the Middle East, the Christians who stand for their faith, being ridiculed and mocked, that's nothing. To them, persecution is being hunted down and killed and massacred. Not just jailed, jailed and tortured and killed. That is persecution. For us here, we're Christians here. And that's the thing with here in the Western world. We have it so comfortable here. Just a little tickle. Oh, you're persecuting me. You're a Christian? Uh-huh. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And you feel so bad you're being persecuted. Try living in China. Try living in, in Syria. Try living in Iraq as a Christian today. What do you think it will be like? See, it will put your Christianity here in the West to shame. Come on now. (laughs) Just think about that. What what a perspective, isn't it? (laughs) So it must have been a very challenging time for Noah to live in this kind of society. But he, nevertheless, walked with God. And he walked in the favor of God. He didn't mind what the world would think of him. What mattered to him was what God thought of him. Are we like Noah? Do we care more of what God thinks of us? Or are we more concerned with what the world would say about us? Don't be too weird. Oh, it's okay for you to be a Christian, but just don't be too weird. Don't be too committed. And when you get persecuted, oh, okay, okay. I'm, you know, I'm not that type of Christian. I'm not like those Kooks right there, you know, they're so weird. You know, I'm not like them. So we, many times we disassociate ourselves with those people when in fact, they're doing a lot more than we are. You get what I'm saying here? I mean, yes, I'll be the, one of the first ones to tell you there are a lot of Christians out there who are in our, from our perspective, they're weird and we don't want to be with them. But guess what? They're doing the work of the kingdom nonetheless. Whatever their motive is, regardless of their intentions. Remember that instance when, when people were, there were some people preaching about Jesus, but they were not with Jesus and with the disciples. And the disciples said, they're preaching about you and they're preaching about the kingdom. Stop them. It's okay if they're, you know, they're not against us, they're for us. Regardless of their motives. Okay? And Paul said, even said, there are people out there who preach Christianity out of a selfish motive. But what was his attitude? You know what? I stand before God. I will be judged. I will not judge others, even if it's obvious, but they, stand, they will stand before God. 
But what's important is whether good motives or not, the important thing is what? Christ is preached. And guess what? Those people you think are kooks and weirdos, they will be with you for all eternity in heaven. Come on now. <laughs> or even worse, they will be in heaven and you're not. Ooh. Because you're too cool not to be committed. It's not about coolness. Okay? It's about the relationship with God. And if you walk with God, you have a relationship with Him, you will be different from the world. Something different about you. They'll say that. I've heard, I've heard that said of my life, and I'm not perfect. How many of you have heard that said of you? What's, what's it with you? You have a problem. We're going through the same thing, and yet there seems to be a strength in you. Seems to be a joy in you that, that, give, that energizes you in spite of the, What do you have? How many of you have heard that said of you? Have you heard that? That's the gospel bearing fruit in your life. So Noah walked with the Lord. Secondly, he was able to stand in righteousness as a great father to his family. And his faith enabled him to witness to others. Because of his walk with God, the natural byproduct of that relationship is you telling people about Jesus. Come on now. You know someone really, really important? Sometimes in your selfish motive, you want to let people know that you know the guy. You know, you know this person, right? You tell people about someone you love. My wife doesn't like, she doesn't like to be put in the, in the spotlight. She doesn't want to be <laughs> the center of attention. That's just her personality. And that's why when I speak to people, when I tell stories about her, she, she gets uncomfortable with that. But I can't help it. I tell stories about her because I love her, right? I tell stories about her because she's important to me. And I don't care what you think. She's the greatest woman on earth, as far as I'm concerned. Come on now. And I'll tell you about it. I will not be ashamed about that. Now, if I can do that for my wife, I'm not doing it for her. I'm doing it as an overflow of my love and appreciation offer. I mean, like, I see you, you guys, like today, I mean, I, I see pictures of the fathers on Facebook posted by their spouses, and they brag about their husbands, you know, this is the greatest man on earth, you know, so the greatest husband ever, the greatest dad ever, you know, I truly appreciate it. You see, we do that. How much more if we have a relationship with God? That's a natural byproduct, and if you walk with God you can't help but tell people about him. Let's contrast Noah with his culture, with his world. Noah was righteous and he was a man of faith. The world was corrupt, violent, wicked, and evil. So he was standing up, standing out like a sore thumb as far as the world's perspective is concerned. Okay, as far as the world is concerned. He witnessed to others by his faith. Now, the Bible here says that it doesn't say that. Right? But yesterday in our How to Study the Bible class, one of the principles we taught people is in, in interpreting Scripture, the best interpreter of Scripture is, for those who were in the class, the best interpreter of Scripture is Scripture itself. So in the New Testament, there is an insight, okay, because, because of all the oral traditions, there is insight, and it, and it ended up on it ended up on, uh, on Hebrews, and Hebrews ended up being in the canon, and all the words there in the Bible are inspired by God. Therefore, this is true. Okay? Every word, every, everything recorded in the Bible is true. And so here, Hebrews 11 gives us insight to this man Noah, and here's what it says there. In the Amplified Bible, this is Hebrews 11 that we read a while ago. By this, his faith which relied on God... He passed judgment and sentence on the world's unbelief. So by his faith alone, he was standing as, you know, as a, he, was, he was judging. Not that he was judgmental, but because he disagreed, because he, he agreed with God, his very faith was the statement God was making to the world because of their unbelief. He was the message, his life. But it didn't end there. 
the Apostle Peter gives us more insight in 2 Peter chapter 2. He says this about Noah. He was talking about many things that, you know, God, if God did not spare this, God did not spare that, if God didn't do this. And then he reached Noah, he says, and, and did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah. And look at this, a preacher of righteousness. He was a preacher of righteousness. He was a preacher of righteousness. What do preachers do? What do preachers do? We preach. Just like I'm doing right now. <laughs> I'm a preacher. I preach to you guys. Okay? And see, the Bible uses words, and when it uses words, it means it. And it, it knows what those words mean. The Bible uh, says what it means, and it means what it says. Did you get that? The Bible says what it means, and it means what it says. Just like in that movie, uh, you know, it's not like uh, Bissini in the movie The Princess Bride. Have you seen that movie, The Princess Bride? Have you seen it? One of my all-time favorite movies. And <laughs> this character, Bissini, always, any opportunity he could, he could speak, say the word inconceivable, he would say it. He didn't fall inconceivable. And he kept saying inconceivable. And his companion, Inigo Montoya, the Spaniard, got fed up with it and said, you know what, you, kept, you keep saying that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. <laughs> you see, the Bible says what it means, and it means what it says. So when the Bible says Noah was a preacher of righteousness, that's what it meant. He preached the righteousness of God. He was not just living righteously. He was bold to speak on God's behalf. He was telling the world of the love that he had experienced, of the relationship he had, he had with God. He was telling everybody. He was a preacher of righteousness. Okay, this is in the New American Standard Bible. He preached, but look, how many believed his message? How many became like Noah in his faith? Nobody. Have you ever tried that? Victory group leaders, how many of you are always... Sharing to people about your faith and they don't respond to you. They even ridicule you. They even mock you. All your life, no fruit. Wouldn't that be discouraging? <laughs> Wouldn't that be discouraging? That might have been discouraging for Noah. But he didn't allow that, that to discourage him. Why? Because he focused on the more important persons in his life. What mattered was this. He preached out there, nobody believed him. But where it mattered most, his family believed him. His family shared the same faith, and he was the pillar of faith in their household. He was the leader in their household. He was leading them in their relationship with God. He was the example. He was telling them, this is the way we should go. Number three, Noah led his family he was a good father because he walked with God. He was a good father because, he, because that faith allowed him to witness to others. He was a good father because he led his family to salvation. Fathers, let me speak to you this morning. Don't just be passive in your household. Be the leader in righteousness. Be the example. Be, be the leader spiritually. I'm not saying that uh, you're the only one. Of course, that example should be shared by both parents, by the mother and the father. Okay, In some households, it's the woman who's usually more spiritual. But husbands and fathers, let me speak to you today. Don't just relegate that to your spouses, to your wives. Take the lead, or at least join them. Be with them. Take part in leading your family in righteousness. Because here's the thing, if you lead your family in righteousness, you're going to see God protecting your family. Genesis 7, then the Lord said to Noah, go into the ark, and you and all your household. Here is the Lord, the Lord's commandment. These are the VIPs in the ark. They get first class. The main cabin is not for people, it's for animals. But the first class, it's for the VIPs, and the VIPs were 
his family because was it because they deserted no again this is a grace of god in their lives but they followed god because of noah's example so here the lord directed noah go into the ark you and all your household his wife his three sons and his three daughters-in-law okay for i have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation See, God's looking at you right now. God's looking at us to see if we will wholeheartedly follow him in spite of the sway of the world. Verse 7, And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood. They were saved. And that's the more important thing there. I remember a story of a young man who was about to be placed in a penitentiary. He's committed crimes, and now he was going to be put in prison for life. But the judge knew this young man's father, and this young man's father was one of the best lawyers he knew. A great lawyer. He even wrote books that they follow and they refer to in their cases. So this judge respects this young man's father, and he's like, what happened to you? And so, I know your father, so what, what happened? What's your fondest memories of your father? You know you're going to be put in, in prison for life, right? So, before I send you there, because you're guilty, what is your best memories of your father, you know? Your Honor, so while he was there, he said, Your Honor, when, when I needed something from him, I went to him, I asked him. I needed his advice, I asked him. I went to him and... He looked at me from the book that he was writing and said, not now, boy, run along, just play, I'm busy right now. And then every time I would go to him, that's his line. And when I needed just companionship, just to be with him, he said, not now, I'm finishing another book. So he's been finishing books. And so, Your Honor, you knew my dad as a great lawyer. I know my dad as a friend that I lost. And then the judge goes, Alas, it was, he just muttered this. Alas, he finished the book, but he lost his boy. Would you rather be significant outside and yet those people closest to you and the most important people in your life shun you? Now, I've, I hear that story, and there's, there's that aspect of that father in that story in all fathers. All of us are guilty to some degree of doing that to our children. Fathers, would you agree? We're too busy. We're too busy. Sometimes I'm guilty of that. But we need to see the more important things in our lives. And Noah did it right. That's why he's our example. And there's an example of a similar case in Scripture. I want you to see this in Genesis chapter 19. How many of you remember Abraham's uh, nephew Lot? Okay, so Lot and Abram. So Lot went with Abram from Ur of the Chaldees to Canaan where they lived. But they were becoming prosperous and their sheep and their flocks and their cattle, they're, they're both becoming prosperous that they could no longer share the land. And, and Abraham, in his, in his generosity, said to, to Lot, his, his nephew, you know what? Because their, their shepherds were fighting against each other. So let's not allow any quarrel in our, among, among us, in our, on our families. So here's what we'll do. You choose the land if you, you, where you want to go. If you want to go left, I'll go right. If you want to go to the right, I'll go to the left. So Abraham, in his generosity, I mean, he was the patriarch. He could have said, you know what? That's the greener pasture. I'll take that. You take that. Right? Many of us, that's how we would deal with it. That's how we will handle it. But Abraham, in his generosity, said, you know what? Wherever you go, I'll go to the opposite way. So if you want to go west, I'll go east. So Lot looked, hmm, okay, greener pasture. So he goes. He chooses the place where it's greener and it's more, looks more promising in the natural. So he goes there. So you would think that was, a, you know, that was unfair to Abraham. But Abraham, to him, it didn't matter where he would go because his faith is not... In the location, his faith is in God, who would provide for him. It's God who made him rich anyway, so it doesn't matter where he is. 
if God is with him, then God's going to bless him no matter what the circumstances are. That's his faith. And so Lot goes to this place, this really, really um, lush place, promising place, where there are twin cities called Sodom and Gomorrah. And the people of those cities pretty much reflected the kind of people who were alive during Noah's time. And they were wicked, the, the wickedness of the city. Just like Nineveh, the city, the inhabitants of that city, they were wicked. They, they didn't have any restraints. And God was going to call down judgment upon it. And Abraham goes, Lord, what if there's 30 righteous people there? Would you destroy the city? No, for, God said, for the sake of the 30, I will not destroy it. Please forgive me, Lord. Please be patient with me. What if there's only 20 righteous people? Will you still destroy the city? For the sake of the 20, I will not. What if there's only 10 for the sake of the ten, I will not destroy those cities. Please forgive me once again. I know, I know, I'm, I know, I know, I'm testing your patience, but the Lord is very patient, you know. So, so what if there's only five? For the sake of the five, I will not destroy the city. And Abraham stopped. Fast forward, those cities get destroyed. That means there were no righteous people who would stand in the gap. And here, Lot, who was a member of Abraham's household who was connected to the promise of God allowed Sodom and Gomorrah to affect him instead of him affecting the city with his faith and heritage. Many times, that's what people do. They grow up in the faith, and they get a taste of the world, and they like it. And they go, hmm, let me explore. Let me discover myself here. Ooh, oh, this is good. You know, we don't do this here. You know, it's... I think I like it here more. So you've allowed Sodom to take your heart. But God gave him a chance. And so God said to Lot, I'm going to destroy these cities, but I'm going to spare you because you are connected to Abraham. It's not because of your goodness. I'm giving you grace just because of your connection to Abraham. I'm faithful to him. Get out and don't look back. And here's the story. Lot, after he heard the angel telling him that God was going to destroy the city, and the angel was telling him, get out now. Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, and said, up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy the city. But he appeared to his sons-in-law to be jesting. In another translation, it says there, his sons-in-law thought he was joking. Another translation, it says, they didn't believe him. He didn't have enough credibility with his family members. And so, God was going to judge. God was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, and they were going out. As they were going out, they were instructed not to look back. But his wife was so taken in by the ways of Sodom and Gomorrah that she longed for that more. That one last look, and you know what happened, right? God told them not to look back, and she looked. She couldn't let go. While, while she was going out of the city, she could not let go of those cities in her heart. She looked back. God judged her. She became a pillar of salt. And Lot's sons-in-laws perished with the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. Contrast Lot with Noah. Judgment was coming. Destruction was coming. The leader of both families spoke up the word of the Lord. One family in this family, not everybody believed him. In this family, all of them believed the patriarch. You see, if you allow the world to take your heart, that will be seen by your family members. And when it comes to the time when you declare the word of the Lord, they will not believe you. Because they've seen you. They know how you've been. But if you're like Noah... You really walked with God, and that's going to be seen in the most crucial times in your families, in your family's lives. They will believe what you say, and they will follow your leadership. All boils down to you being genuine. Noah had a genuine relationship with God. Noah was more than just a great preacher of righteousness. He was a great practicer of what he preached. He practiced his faith. He lived it. As we conclude, ours is not an easy time to be fathers as well. 
Here's the reality of our time. Here's what Jesus said. And just as it happened in the days of Noah. Remember, in the days of Noah, what was happening, right? I just described it to you a while ago. So it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. When Jesus Christ comes back, the earth will be just like in the days of Noah. The thing is, the wicked will become more wicked, but the righteous will become more righteous. In other words, there's going to be that polarity. And when Jesus comes back, he's going to set aside those people on the left, to the left, and one group to the right. Where will you be? We live in troubled times today, and sometimes it's difficult because of what culture says, because of what those experts out there say. It's funny, you know, somebody once told me, you know what, most experts don't really matter. You know what an expert is? I was told by them, jokingly. It's a former spurt. They just spurted for a time, and that's it, and they think they have authority on the matter, and now they're speaking about it, but nobody really cares. But many times we fall for those, what those experts say rather than what God says. And that's why it's difficult. Let me challenge you. Fathers, men, not just fathers, men, and even the women here, everybody, let me challenge you. Stand up for God. Stand up for righteousness. Walk with Him. Don't be afraid to go counterculture because God's going to be with you. And if you experience trouble... You don't go, Lord, why am I experiencing trouble when I'm following you? It's part of the package. Here's what Jesus said. These things I've spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will, you will have tribulation or troubles. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus Christ is the one who overcomes the world. So fathers, remember that it is God's grace that enables you to stand. So stand firm in Christ. Walk with him. Our prayer this morning, can we all stand right now as we end? My prayer for all the fathers here, not just for all the fathers, but for all of us, is that we, we would walk with God just as Noah did. And that we, out of the overflow of our relationship with God, would speak to people about him. Would tell the world of, of his love. Would tell the world of his message, of his saving grace, of his transforming power. Speak to the world about the good news that they can be saved from their sin. And as we do that, my prayer is that we, we would expect, be expectant that God, that God would use us to lead our families into his purposes. How many want your families to follow Jesus Christ? Your mem family members, your sons and daughters? That they would follow him not because daddy said so or mommy said so. They would follow Jesus because they've seen the example, your example as their parents, of following Christ. And now that faith became theirs. And it's going to be their real, genuine relationship with God. And I'm following Jesus not because I'm fo just following you, but I'm following because I know him. My prayer is that our children would have that, their own faith in God. And they will have their own faith in God. A big part of that is us showing them the way. Amen? Let's pray. Father, help us. Lord, would you come and help us today? Lord, we come to you and we ask that you would transform our hearts. Lord, that you would open our eyes to see what's really happening in the world and, and allow us, Lord, to run to you. Lord, we thank you that you're calling all of us to you, to your purpose. And so we ask that you would transform our hearts, that you would enable us, Lord, to live in this world not according to the ways of the world, but according to your ways, according to your word, according to your will. And Lord, that can only be possible, that is only possible by your grace. And this grace is found in Christ. And as we pursue Jesus, as we pursue a relationship with him, as we grow in our relationship with him, as we walk with him, Lord, you're, you're going to be the one to use us to be your instruments of change in our culture. You will be using us to be your beacons, Lord, the beacons of your light as your light lives in us. And Lord, as we do so, Lord, we pray that you would protect our families. Lord, that you would use our example, Lord, to 
to inspire our children, our family members to pursue you on their own as well. That their faith would be theirs, not just because this is my dad's faith or my mom's faith, but this, Lord, let their faith be their own. That you would be their own Lord and Savior. Lord, would you bring our children to that place, to that point where they will say, You, Lord Jesus, you are my Lord and my Savior. And Lord, we've seen the example. We've seen the story in Noah's life. Lord, you use the, the patriarch, you use the father. Lord, as a significant influence to the faith of his family. Lord, would you use the fathers here to be the catalysts in their family, Lord, with regards to faith, with regards to pursuing you, relating with you. Lord, today as fathers and even the mothers here, Lord, we surrender to you and we say, Lord, here we are, use us. Bring us a place of intimacy with you. Help us grow in our relationship with you. Help us to tell the world about you. And we thank you that as we do so, you will take care of our household. You will take care of our children. You will take care of their faith. Lord, we entrust our children to you. And we thank you, Lord, that their faith one day will be genuine and they will be with us. We will all be together. Just as Noah's family we're all together as you save them. Lord, save our families and use our families, Lord, to declare the message of salvation to the world. Lord, we just lift up this, this time to you. Bless the parents here as we lead our families into your righteousness and into your purposes. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.